Beautiful. <laughs> Ciao, Bella. <laughs> Ciao, Bella. Danny, Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a good spell uh, on the journey of Voice Wallers Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction went, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day, and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. Who wouldn't want to celebrate the Words and Nerds fabulous podcast? Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny B. Today, I'm so excited to welcome Kate Langbrook, one of Australia's most beloved media personalities. Ferocious wit, playfulness, and irreverence have made her an audience favourite in a career that has spanned primetime television, top-rating breakfast, and drive-time radio, acting, script writing, and journalism. Kate has been a regular on the panel and went on to guest on other popular shows like Thank God You're Here and Dancing with the Stars. You can catch her broadcasting nationally every week down Kiss FM's 3pm pickup and is a regular guest on Channel 10's The Project. Today we chat about her brand new book, Ciao Bella, Six Take Italy. Welcome, Kate. What an impressive bio. How are you? Well, that is quite an impressive bio. You know what I always love about it is that... that um, you or so whoever wrote it used the word beloved. And as we know, in Australia, we generally despise our famous people. So the when I will be beloved is when I die. But in the meantime, just I'll accept that I'm tolerated. Tolerate. I'll change it in the editing. I'll say tolerated, Kate. <laughs> but, you know, that's the thing about Australians is we're not, we're not like other countries who revere their you know artists and whatever we just can't wait to drag people and I include myself in that I lived overseas and realized how Australian I am you know <laughs> and now that we've got Twitter and everyone's cancelling each other that's exactly what it's like isn't it exactly <laughs> my beloved Dave he's you know one of my um formative and ongoing relationships in my life um professional and personal he is a person who loves celebrity and the notion of it so much he actually doesn't wear sunglasses in case people don't recognize him. <laughs> so he's he's got such a healthy relationship with the world and it's it's bouquets or brick bats that he just is totally free to be himself and I find it extraordinary. Mm, I love that. Very refreshing. Now this beautiful book, it took me back to a place when we were allowed to travel. I know it's opening up now, but ciao Bella, it was so wonderful. And I just loved the opening chapter. You talk about dreams, how we're encouraged to dare to dream and chase our dreams. But then you say, well, what do you do when the world doesn't share your dream? So tell us about how those two things collide for you and then how you did it anyway well it was kind of interesting because um it wasn't as though I'd had this dream for it wasn't like a lifelong dream you know some people have have dreams they've had forever you know I, I, mine was pretty well formulated from the first time we went to Italy and not even fully formed and that was only in 2015 right but the more that I talked about it with my husband who also felt the need for a similar kind of circuit break from our life. Um, and for us, that's the form that it took. You know, some people go, we've discussed travelling around Australia, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, too many sharks. <laughs> <laughs> I 
love it. And also, I didn't want to do homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Who um, does? After well, this, no one does. An ironic prophecy, didn't it? <laughs> anyway, um, but what was interesting, as you allude to, was the fact that when you go to do something radically different with your life, other people don't like it. Mm. And some people do, but a lot of people don't. And the reason that they don't makes perfect sense because I believe everyone's motivated by self-interest, whatever form that takes. For some people, doing good is, you know, nurtures something in them. But everyone basically does what they want to do aside from duty-bound, which is love-led, involving health or whatever, you know, duty. But when you are going to change your life, what happens is you're obviously going to change the lives of people around you who love you. And it's like when you have friends who get divorced from your social group, how painful that is. Mm. And you're like, oh, no, now we've got to rethink everything. And now how do we have, do we have him or do we have her? People don't like it. So when we announced that we were going to live in Italy, a lot of people resisted us doing it in the form of how can you do that to the kids you can't leave your job oh my god you'll never get you that'll be the end of your career you'll be like whatever their reasoning was there was a surprising amount of resistance to us just which we weren't expecting we were just like "Mm, who cares what we do People do care what you do. Mm. I find that so interesting because you're right. I think whenever you tell anyone big news, they see it from their context first of all and think, oh, how's that going to impact me? And I think it's just human nature, isn't it? So true. And, you know, I think another example is I've had a couple of friends recently who have given up drinking. People do a very similar thing to people who give up drinking. Interesting. It's just there's something in us, I think, that, you know, whatever writer it was who said whenever a was it Balzac or Voltaire? I don't know, whatever. Some famous person I should know and I don't. <laughs> but um, said every time a friend of mine has a has a success, I die a little death. Mm, interesting. And that, there is that aspect to humanity and it's mm. not pervasive and it's not, but, but it is that people get that tinge of whatever Mm. and often it's because it's holding up a mirror or we think it it isn't but we think it is holding a mirror up to ourselves and our shortcomings and what we're not doing with our lives yeah absolutely absolutely because then you're thinking well should I be traveling or should I be doing this or should I be doing that and so liberating yourself from that for us to liberate ourselves from other people's expectations and our own was a whole part of the process that I didn't recognise at all until retrospect. Mm-hmm. And so how did you do it? How did you resist all of these, oh, I don't want to say negativities, but this you know, pressure to not make this such big you know, change in your life? You know what? We just kept going. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, maybe because of my upbringing or whatever anyway, um, because I was raised a Jehovah's Witness, so I'm not used to having been part of a, you know, I've never really had a, a tribe of people till I was an adult and, mm-hmm. and my own family of friends. But <clears throat> I've never been uh, particularly uh, swayed by what other people's expectations were of me other than that I be a decent person. Mm-hmm. Which is a good thing, I think, which is liberating in itself, I think. 
thought of. I mean, it means, you know, at times like this when there's very divergent schools of thought about things, mm-hmm. it means you run a risk of, of being ostracised or whatever if you dare to speak against, you know, the prevailing paradigm. But, yeah. but um, I think there's a lot worse things in the world than having a sense of yourself and doing what you want to do for you in the one life that as far as we know we are given. Mm, I love that. Cockroach, I will come back on your podcast because you'll no doubt be a higher person. I'll go. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I was wrong, Danny. I was wrong. <laughs> Maybe we'll be in the pantry together eating flour and leftover cookies or something. <laughs> I love that. But, you know, you said a circuit breaker, you know, to leave. And there was also a deeply personal reason for leaving as well. I mean, and seizing a life. I mean, on the, on the, in the book, you know, your son at six years old was diagnosed and survived childhood leukemia. I mean, did that sort of drive you and think, you know what, I don't care what people say I'm doing this because life is precious and short and amazing and terrifying. Was that part of that decision? Once again, I, th- I think it was. But my husband doesn't think it was. Okay, my, interesting. That that we just wanted to do it mm-hmm. for other reasons that I list in the book. You know, we just wanted to have an adventure and not see the same things every day and not to be caught in that trap of, which is a glorious trap. And I know it's a trap of privilege, you know, that we have the school run and blah, blah, and basketball and shopping and blah, blah, and cooking. and But nonetheless, it's exhausting. And um, so I think for me it meant something about uh, that we had the opportunity to regroup our family somewhere away, whereas for four years we couldn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. my husband just thinks we wanted to do it because we – loved Italy and maybe we're both right you know yeah maybe I think there is a tendency particularly amongst women I include myself in that because I am a woman to overthink things oh yep (laughs) can relate (laughs) yeah and uh, but there was some compulsion to it Mm -hmm. that I just knew I had to do it and it meant giving up my job that no one apparently in their right mind would give up um I mean it was a kind of craziness and it was the sanest kind of craziness. Mm, I love that. I love that. And you know what I loved about what you said is that places conjure up these emotions and images. You know, when I thought about that, I thought when you think of Paris, you know, when you think of Amsterdam or when you think of Tokyo or whatever. Like a mental picture of them. Yes, that's right. I've got my own like eye movie going on. You do, you do. Like I've never, I've been to Paris, but I've never been to Tokyo, but you have this idea of it when you've seen it on television or what people talk about it. And with Italy, you know, when you said that, I was like, that is so true. Like you think of cobblestones and music and romance and endless pasta. So I want to know, I mean, you've said this in the book, but what was the main thing that sort of ruined that fantasy for you when you got there? Um, well, that was a fantasy that was kind of never ruined, even even as it lived side by side. Yeah, that's probably a better way yeah. to say it, yeah. Yeah, it was like a, um, they were like kind of tram tracks. <laughs> the glory of Italy was never in doubt, but even as it ran parallel with the incredible incredible bureaucracy, like mind-boggling um, ineptitude and uh Paper, piles of paper, the likes of which we have not seen mm-hmm. since 
the 1950s, I believe, in Australia. Unbelievable. Like almost like it's designed to break people's spirit. But, of course, the Italians are indomitable. So then what they do to solve the problem of you having eight offices to go to for your citizenship papers is we make a ninth office. <laughs> you can say the problem you have with the first eight offices. It's honestly mind-bending, even things like getting rid of your rubbish or being able to drive into – we lived in an old – in Bologna in the centre and in a lot of the old um, – medieval cities you can't drive into them you need to have a pass unless you've got an electric vehicle right but as people would know if they've been to Florence or Milan or whatever they you get the parking tickets a year and a half later that's alien <gasps> tourism taxation but so just everything that we wanted to do was difficult mm-hmm. e- everything you to join a sports club to play basketball. My nine-year-old had to go to a sports doctor and have an ECG. Right, anything that you imagine. The only things that are simple are eating and drinking. You can ride a bike without a helmet. You can enjoy any number of unlimited personal freedoms. You can sit outside a cafe and have a cigarette. Like unlimited personal freedoms, but mm-hmm. they're all within this strand of overcooked spaghetti of bureaucracy. <laughs> Probably the biggest downside. Mm, that's really interesting, though. And I love when you say when you change your mood, you change everything. And it's a great attitude. Is that what you had to do to help you live in Italy? Like with those tram tracks, live side by side in the beauty and the romance and the beautiful food and all the hard stuff? Because I remember you saying in the book, once again, everything feels so hard. You know, did that, is that how you sort of push through it? Well, you know, Italy is also its own reward. Mm -hmm. So I was feeling like that and I talk quite a bit about Italian magic in the book and and that would be at moments where you'd be particularly low or it felt too difficult or it was, you know, there was like life was throwing up the wrong way, turn back sign or whatever. And then Italy would give you the gift of itself. Mm -hmm. And it would come in the form of suddenly we're driving along, we're lost, we're starving, whatever, and there's the most spectacular restaurant in the middle of nowhere on a river where they go, oh, bring the children in, uh, we make them, we finish lunch, but don't worry, we'll cook something for them. Like amazing. We'd people that we hadn't seen for a year and a half in a little beach in Puglia in, the, in a country of 80 million people. Wow. Like constantly we were... We were open to receiving the messages that we were doing the right thing. And in life, so much of life is belief that when you believe you're doing the right thing and you exude happiness as a result of that, you attract happiness to you and good things. And that's the tale of us in Italy that that country could not have loved us more, they could not have been kinder to us, they could not have opened their hearts to us more. I really love that. And I was just having that conversation the other day. I was having, you know, exuding happiness and people then exude it back to you. Like they reflect it back to you, that happiness. And you think, wow, this actually really works. When you said that, like it is absolutely spot on, I think. I think that is great. I love that. And something, Danny, you know, that happens when you're travelling. I think that's why Australians, I mean, people love travelling, but Australians particularly are are voracious travellers and part of what we love about it is that we behave differently when we're traveling yeah, so that's 
different. We have experiences. You talk to people that you'd never talk to just sitting at the bus stop at the end of your street. Mm. Um, yet when you're travelling, you do, and consequently magic ensues. Mm, I love that. You are you're that different person. You're more open to experiences and accepting things and talking to people. You're absolutely right because in your day-to-day, you get sort of bogged down by domesticity and duty and jobs and all those kind of stuff that you have to do, but yeah. you get bogged down in that. Uh. Now, when you had friends visit, because I loved the photos in there and you had so many friends visit, including Husey, um, was it like a bittersweet experience that it made you more homesick or did you just want to share the beauty of Italy with them or was it kind of both? Um, I didn't really get homesick. Okay. Um, I guess we I, have your family, so that's your home, right? Well, uh, sort of. I mm. mean, they were, when I say I didn't get homesick, there were obvious, there were people, you know, who I love, who I would have liked to have seen. But now because of Zoom and whatever, mm-hmm. I don't know, but it was also a relief to be away from people, to be honest. <laughs> it was just a nice break from, uh, a, you know, a fun but exhausting retinue of the social events. And as my girlfriend Alice calls them, obligates. So I think you have to go to you know those conversations and oh, we have to go oh we have to go to hannah's drinks because blah, 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 whatever um it was nice to be liberated from that it was nice to stare down the time in your own life and have it completely i've never had this before to have it completely unobstructed mm-hmm. except of course for our um basketball obligations which were immutable apparently <laughs> but um that led to a lot of friendships with with Italians and whatever. So that was great. But it was a very unusual thing to do with your own life and I didn't really get homesick as a result. Mm, I love that. And I'm wondering if we can take some of that into our everyday lives, you know, those obligates and, you know, release ourselves from them even when we're not in Italy because they are the things in your life that make it a bit harder. You know, they do make your life a bit harder and make you have to do this and have to do that. So it's interesting. I wonder if we can take snippets of that into our own lives. To when we've come back, and lockdowns have helped a lot with that. Actually. Yeah, they have <laughs> really like they really clarify the butter of your life. Lockdowns mm-hmm. because it's the people that you are like, oh, thank God, I don't have to see them. I mean, there's not that many, but you know, <laughs> yes. are replenishing for some people who leech the marrow out of your bones. And if you can get more of the former and less of the latter, I think you're doing well in life. Mm, I think you're absolutely but right. some stage, standing in your own ground. I mean, not everyone can flee to Italy just to get out of having lunches they don't want to go to. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could, though. It sounds amazing. <laughs> amazing, I promise you. <laughs> And the line I loved so much, and I think it's in the back of the book, I wasn't looking to fall in love. It just happened. There were moments, encounters, fleeting as feelings. Sometimes tellingly they emerged from chaos. Now, I love that these moments of unexpectedness and chaos are the ones that you remember most because that's how we remember our lives. We don't remember, you know, the obligates Mm. that we had to do. It's those beautiful, unexpected moments of Uh, chaos. Share a little bit of that with me. I love that so uh, much. Agree what you say because it's not all the you know meals you made that worked out perfectly it's the time that you do- drop the roast and the- it's so true that's what you remember um in it was harking back kind of to what i was saying earlier about italian magic 
that because there's six of us, we have an inherent amount of sort of chaos and disorder anyway when we go anywhere just by virtue of numbers, you know, and it's a big operation to move six people around. And in Italy now, people don't have big families. So that that has changed in a couple of generations. You know, that that picture that we all had of the giant, you know, gaggle of Italian families with the nonna and the blah, blah. It, now they they have the lowest birth rate in Europe, the Italians. Point mm. eight, they're not even replacing themselves. And so as a result of that, we attracted a lot of attention and a lot of kindly attention because people would say to us, my family, I remember when I was growing up, we had a, I had a lot of brothers and sisters, you know, so people were really kind to us as a result of that. But um, because of the nature of travelling through a country that you don't know, um, not able to speak the language, especially initially, um, we would always find ourselves lost or uh, you know, exhausted or mired in some Italian madness like a hotel in Milan where the air conditioning's not working and they're basically just bored about, you know, fixing things and we know they're not. And then something brilliant would happen. Something brilliant would happen. You have to go along with it. You have to resist the bits that you don't like. But also we learn just to wait. We learn to um, I'm sorry, there, you don't have a booking. We're like, we do have a booking, but we'll just stand here and wait. And eventually they've got a lot of annoyed noises, the Italians, and then you go, hey, your room is ready. <laughs> I love this so much. Often that would happen at a restaurant booking, at a, a hotel booking, at a caravan park. Like just, just so we to roll with it. And because we... Oh, my point was that because there's six of us, we're used to a certain degree of disorder anyway. Mm. We're not tightly held people, even though Peter's very well ordered. He's not a tight kind of person. And so it suited us really well that in that regard, Italy. Mm, I love that. I love that idea of just waiting. I'll just wait. It'll all work out. And, you know, and don't wait. Don't get angry. People are so desperate to get angry. Like, don't get angry. Just wait. Something out. You think they want you standing in their foyer for an hour? They don't. So they'll sort it out. I love that attitude to life. And this is the question I wanted to ask you. What I really got from this book is I think, you know, it's such a glorious reminder of what Italians can teach us about living life to the full. And what can we learn from Italians to live our lives full tilt? What's your advice, Kate? They take time to rest. They take time every day to rest which I think is, uh, like, I know that, that that was a big thing for me, that when I started doing that, especially when I stopped working, it made such a difference to me. I effectively started to get two days out of one day because if I would take an hour and a half at some point and just absent myself, when I would wake up, I'd be refreshed again and then I'd go through to midnight or 1 o'clock. I get wow. a So they take rest. They prize beauty, not as a shallow, it's not a shallow um, concept initially. It's a very spiritual concept to them so that whatever you are doing, you make beautiful, even if it's for yourself. And along those lines, that's what they're horrified by, things like us going out in songs. 
Like they would never do that. If you're not on a beach, you don't see thongs initially because they're like, but why would you dream so little for yourself? Wow. They're just, they dress up for themselves and for each other. They passeggiata in the evenings, which is when you go out for a walk. They're very social. They bring their social into their work lives. So often if you go into these tiny little shops, which God willing still survive after COVID and the world is not just Jeff Bezos, um, you see um, a, a man in there and there's an old man sitting in the corner and his dad comes with him to work. Like they have a seamlessness with their social and work and family life that is not even, it's just part of the one cloth and we don't have that here. Mm. They, oh. revere their old, they revere their old buildings, um, whereas in Australia, you honestly, you could go down the end of, you know, any suburban street and see anything from the 1950s being raised to the ground to build brick townhouses. We, I don't know, how did they know? I would say to Peter all the time when we were in these medieval villages everywhere, how did they know not to knock down their old buildings? Mm. I don't know. How do they know? How do they know to love their old people? I love that idea of why do you dream for yourself so little? I think that's something that we should take away. I love that a lot. Well, yeah, so that even if you're eating on your own, you would set a table nicely. Like they'd be so horrified at me on my own if there's a night where I don't have to cook or the kids are out of the house that I my this is my dream. It's a very dream. I get into bed with a tin of tuna and a mini can of Coke and I'll watch Netflix and that would be like, I that's heaven to me. They would be like, what? It sounds like kind of heaven to me too, really. Can I probably have some chocolate on the side as well to add to that, but it sounds pretty good. <laughs> Everything, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> Now, Ciao Bella is a brilliant book for anyone, I think, heading overseas, for expats, anyone who just has dared to follow that dream, seize life and take these life-changing risks, which you did and you did so beautifully in the book. It's an inspiring and funny and moving story. And I really am going to try and take those little bits and pieces of waiting, of being patient, of dreaming a bit bigger into my everyday life, because I think that's what we need to do to you know, live life to full tilt, which is my, my resolution at the moment, to live life at full tilt. So thank you so much, Kate, for your time in the book. It's an absolute glorious read and such a great circuit breaker for the reader too, because we've, as you know, been trapped from lockdown. Hopefully that's a thing of the past. Thank you. The biggest trap is in our head. Mm, absolutely. I love that. And this book is a beautiful escape as well, but I love that. The biggest trap is in our head. I've, got, I've just learned so much from this interview, Kate, I'm going to take into my own real life. So thank you so much for your time and for writing this beautiful book. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. We'd love to engage with you on social media. You can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Danny V Books, Words and Nerds podcast. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay safe and read more books.